Hello and welcome to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today we have a special guest, Kaylee, who is going to talk to us about how and why we're addicted to ourselves and how we struggle to change due to that. Hi, Kaylee. Hi. How are you? I am fabulous and hot. It's a hot day today here. <laughs> and where are you that it's hot? In Australia. What? The other side of the world. What do you guys call hot over there? <laughs> uh, so I think I looked it up the other day and 35 degrees here is, I think it was 95 Fahrenheit. Oh my goodness. So like around 95 to 100, that's like a normal day. for It's not even summer yet and that's how hot it is here today. Is it humid or is it just warm? Uh, no, it's humid as well. Oh, that doesn't sound very fun. Over here in Canada, we're just <laughs> getting into our fall. So we start to cool off before the snow flies. <laughs> Beautiful. That sounds so nice right now. <laughs> See, and yours doesn't to me. <laughs> <laughs> but Kaylee, I alluded to kind of the topic that we're going to talk about. So we're ready to hear your insight when you're ready to share with us. Um, hmm. Okay. I was thinking before when we were talking, um, where I was going to start talking because it's such an interesting topic. And it's something that once I really understood this, it kind of started to change everything for me. Once I understood that addictions are not only for alcoholics and drug addicts and smokers and TV watchers and gamblers, and even people that exercise, it's also for those of us who are addicted to how we feel, meaning I realized a long time ago that I was actually addicted to the hit that I used to get from my mom. And I was raised, I was raised as a victim, very strong victim and, and a very strong codependent. And when my mum got sick with terminal cancer, the walls that I had around me started to crumble and I started to see them crumble. And when she actually passed away, I, it, it felt like going cold turkey. I lost, I, it's like I lost everything. I lost everything that I had and I didn't know how to function in the world. And I realized that my entire world, my platform, my walls, my roof, every foundation that I had disappeared the day my mom passed away because my entire foundation was built on her and I was completely addicted to the hits that I used to get from her. And because I was raised really strongly to be a victim and to be a failure and to basically feel like a worthless sack of shit every minute of every day when she passed and I didn't have that there was a part of me that just felt completely lost because I would if if there were any times in my life where I started to succeed at something or if I started to feel good it was really weird I would pick up the phone and call her and tell her about it and she would give me that reality check that would all, that I call my hit. She would give me that emotional hit that would bring me back down to where I should be. That would bring me back down to where I should feel about myself, which was a worthless sack of shit. <laughs> because, and it's not 
it's not her fault and I have zero animosity towards my mum about it. She owned, she was in exactly the same position as me. She was just a product of her upbringing. She didn't choose to be the parent she was. She was just a product of her upbringing. And back then there was no support. There was no internet. There were no free counselling services. There was nothing back then when she was growing up, especially when she was a parent. And so we can, it's really easy to sit in blame to our parents or to our family or friends or anyone that, that creates this energy inside of us. But ultimately, like any addicts, you have to step up and become responsible for how you feel and become responsible for the impact that you're making on your own life. And it took a minute and it's taken a lot for me to stop blaming my mom, stop blaming my dad, stop blaming my siblings, stop blaming people in my life that make me feel the way I do. Stop blaming all the stories that I've had, all the past experiences that I have that validate how I feel about myself and to step into responsibility and kind of go, well, yes, okay, that did happen. I was raised as a victim. I was bullied by my family, not that they would ever admit it or agree to it, but I was heavily bullied by my family and I was bullied by my school teachers and I was bullied by my closest friends. And now I'm an adult. And there came this time where I really stood and kind of went, I need to put my big girl knickers on and realize that even though all of this stuff happened to me, even though I have been physically abused, even though I have been emotionally abused and mentally abused, I still get to choose how I feel about that because now I'm an adult and now I don't have to let anyone do that to me. I don't have to let anyone physically abuse me or emotionally abuse me or mentally abuse me. I get to choose that for myself. But it it takes a minute. It takes a minute to take responsibility and it, it takes a minute to go through all that hurt and pain of realising that, yes, they did that to you when you were younger, but you're not younger now. And it also takes a minute, one of the biggest things that I had to walk around and say to myself for quite a long time when I was holding on to all of this stuff was what it what if I was, what if I was wrong? What if I misinterpreted some of what happened or what if the, what if the stories that I hear in my head are wrong? And that was hard because there's such a big part of our egos that wants to be right. I remember talking to a friend of mine about issues that he was going through with his partner. And I looked at him, I said, you're fighting for your right to be right. Is it worth it? And he looked at me and he said, well, I never looked at it like that. And I said, yeah, when you fight for your right to be right, you're holding on to the pain, you're holding on to the hurt just so you can be right. You're just fighting for it. And we do that within ourselves as well. We fight for our right to be right. We fight for the right to hold on to the stories of the punishment that we received or the abuse that we received. And we fight for our right to hold on to the meanness that somebody did to us or the partner that had an affair or the partner that 
left us or whatever happens in our past, there's such a deep level within us that fights for our right to hold on to that. And when you realise that you're fighting for your right to be right and you're fighting for the right to hold on to it, you look at that and, well, for me, I looked at it and I thought, this is absurd. Why would I fight to hold on to something so hard that makes me feel so bad? (laughs) And it was that realisation that one of, there are many realisations, but that was a really big one of realising that I don't have to fight to hold on to this stuff. I don't have to fight and then to tell everybody about it, to tell everybody about my past or to tell everybody about the conflict that I had or to talk to my friends or to talk to a partner at the time or talk to a therapist. We spend so much time talking about our stuff and we're really just fighting to hold on to it and it's exhausting. So... I kind of think that's a really good place to start this conversation. (laughs) So I was going to ask you, how do you even contemplate going about that mindset shift? Because like, as you kind of said, being in a victim role, growing up as that kind of being who you have, who you are, how you operate, how you see the world and growing up with that for so many years, that sounds very difficult to, change it is I don't know if you can hear my rooster I apologize if you can hear my I think rooster. it's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> he's in the back shade house he was sick and he was living in the bathroom and he's just moved out to the back shade house so he's like right there the wind he's right behind me that's why he's so loud so he's just <laughs> reminding you hey I'm right here <laughs> yeah I'm right here you have to talk about me because I'm here um it has honestly been the hardest the hardest thing to do because you're right it 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 is something that has been here from day one I was um and this is something that that I really like to validate for people is that there are some people in the world that are raised in a loving environment and their foundation is based on trust and safety and they have problems and they come out the other side and then they go out and they talk to the world about motivational things and you think, shit, why can't I do that? Why isn't it that easy for me? Why can't I just say affirmations and all of a sudden have all this stuff just fall away and go out into the world and be a great success? For some of us, it's harder. Because for some of us, we were not raised with a base foundation of love and safety and trust. Uh, There is no love and safety and trust in my life. It didn't exist. And, and again, I, my family will not validate any of this because their experience is different to mine. Um, My experience was my dad had an affair when my mom was pregnant with me and my mom kicked him out when I was three days old so I came into a world of grief and hurt and pain and hate and resentment and anger and there was no love in my foundation my mum had to go back to work when I was three months old and I got given to a nanny and went from being with my mum 
to going to a nanny and and spending and she worked full-time she was a school teacher so I went full-time hours to a nanny who bottle fed me and just left me in a cot to cry so all of a sudden I've gone from being in the warm cozy cuddleness of my mum at three months old to being breastfed and we all understand now what the impact of that to kids have when they are left alone or they are handed over to a caregiver when and it's different it has emotional impacts on that child's psyche and it it carries through to them and I know that that my mum used to put me in the cot and close the door and leave me to cry it out because that's what you used to do back in those days and we also know now that that behavior has a massive impact on the nervous system and it makes the child not feel safe and it makes them feel abandoned and it makes them feel unloved and that goes into it has this sorry yeah go on that goes into the attachment style conversations right of avoidance and is it insecure anxious anxious insecure something like that something like that um but it does create it does create this underlying tone in your nervous system of just terror mm-hmm. and fear. And there is no safety. And when you're raised with that underlying vibration of terror and fear, then you move about your life like that. And if you understand about the concept of the law of attraction, or even if you don't understand about the concept of the law of attraction, but you understand that how you feel about yourself on the inside is what you are creating in your external world. You create friends who end up like me, you create friends who end up being bullies. You have the sibling that doesn't talk to you anymore. My sibling stopped talking to me when I was 12 and I'm now 47 that has been a long time to not have a conversation with my sibling. Um, you create an environment where you think you are wrong in this world. You create an environment where it doesn't matter what you do, you fail. Um, and it it is so deeply embedded in your psyche and in your being and in who you are that to then go out into the world and follow people who do not have that level of trauma or do not have that depth of belief, then it anchors in that you're more of a failure because all of a sudden you're trying to follow people who have never been through that level of trauma that you've been through, that have have never had that level of unsafety and unlovability inside them that they just can't understand. If someone is raised with a vibration from the beginning of love, safety, and trust, then when they fall, they have a foundation to fall onto. But I can tell you that when I fall, my one, I fell and my mum was the one that picked me up. Every time I ran out of money, my mum would give me money. Every time I ended up leaving a partner, I would go back home to my mum. When I became homeless, I still slept in a tent, but it was in the tent at the carport at my mum's house because she didn't want me in the house. Um, I had dogs and she didn't want the dogs in the house. So it was either they sleep outside with me or they sleep outside on their own. And that was never going to happen because they were little dogs. And she also didn't have fencing up to stop them from being able to get out. So it creates all of these different experiences in your life where you just, there's zero foundation. And then as I learned when my Dad passed away when I was 30 and my mum passed away six years now, six years ago. And 
it it really really came like barreling into my face when she got sick and it took her three years to pass away but and it took three years for my walls to crumble and for me to realize that my mom was my foundation I didn't have a foundation of love safety and trust it was my mom so when she went so did all of it go and I crumbled and it has been a very hard journey back because I also, when she got sick, also ended up with a pretty severe eating disorder, restrictive eating disorder. And so I've been having to manage that and manage and manage all the voices in my head that are, that are convincing me that I'm a failure, that are convincing me not to eat, that are convincing me that not eating is a better idea than eating, that are constantly trying to starve me to um to almost I mean it sounds really brutal but it is at the brutalist core of there is almost like this voice in my head that is constantly saying you should die you shouldn't be here you you need to die your life is not worth living you are not worth being alive you're not actually worth having a life and this is a voice that I've had most of my life I remember being a teenager walking home from school going nobody likes me everybody hates me I think I'll go eat worms that that song has been on repeat in my brain since I was little I was like seven or eight I think when I learned that song and it's been on repeat it's still in there and every time I see it now I go damn is that the game we're playing today really I don't need to play that game with you right now. I'm not playing that game with you right now. I appreciate you being there and I get the pain that you've been through that validates that, but I'm not playing that game with you now. And that's kind of the difference now is that the voices haven't gone away. They don't stop. They don't, I don't think they ever stop. It's just that your perception around them changes. So now I can see them. And now I can look at them and I can hear them. Whereas before I couldn't hear them because they were me. They, they dictated my life. They dictated the choices. They dictated how I felt about myself. They dictated everything about my life. But now, now that I've done the work to shift my perspective and I've moved into this space where I really understand there are my thoughts and there are my feelings and then there's me. And I am not my thoughts and I am not my feelings. I'm me in the middle and I get to look at my thoughts and decide is that one I want to have or is that one I do not want to have and the feelings is this a feeling that I like or is this a feeling that I do not like and I get to choose which way am I going to go today and if I have feelings that I don't I do not like and I don't I I've shifted my perspective from saying that there are good and bad feelings I no, longer, I no longer look at things from the terms of good and bad or label them as this feeling is anger, this feeling is hate, this feeling is sadness, this feeling is because it's another level of work for me. I am now looking at my feelings and going, do I like this feeling or do I not like this feeling? If I do not like this feeling, okay, well, what can I do to bring in one that I do like? And then it's the same with the thoughts. Do I, do I like this thought? Or do I not like this thought? If I do not like this thought, okay, then what can I do to shift myself into a space where I have better thoughts coming in? And it takes a minute. It's not a five-minute job. <laughs> it's not. 
I was going to ask you how long it takes or took maybe even to get to that of asking yourself those questions about the feelings and thoughts. I don't know if anyone can base how long it's going to take them on how long it took me because, and I, I don't, I, I'll answer the question, but I really don't want anyone listening to base how long it's going to take them, how long it took me, because my situation was I didn't know anyone that knew this. I didn't know anyone that understood how different brains work, that, that there is the very big difference between a deep trauma brain and somebody that's just had trauma through their life. There's a big difference between the brain of someone that's had trauma as a teenager but hasn't has a base foundation of love to fall back on and somebody that doesn't have a base foundation of love it's very different and also when I started this so I opened this door when my dad passed away when I was 30 um and I remember it so I remember it so well I was standing there I was in a wedding dress listening to the message and, and the nurse on the, cause my dad had been really sick. He'd had um, dementia and then he had Alzheimer's. And so he was on his way out, but it was a long, it took five years or something before it ended his life. And we, I was standing there listening to the message of the nurse saying, this is your dad's last day. You need to come. And I remember so distinctly looking down at the wedding dress, listening to the message going, yep, that'd be right. It just made so much sense that that was that was my moment in life. I meant this is meant to be the happiest day of my life of getting married, and it was the worst. And it wasn't only the worst because my dad was passing away; it was the worst because I was marrying a man I knew I didn't want to marry, and I did it anyway. And that that moment was the was the start of it for me because that moment was me going there has to be something more in this world than this there has to be something more in the world than a monday to friday nine to five job where all my money goes on life insurance house insurance car insurance mortgage just everything looking around going i can't i can't have this be my life this is this is my idea of hell i was living the mask and i was living i was living inside the box with the right mask on my face that said this is who i am I have a job, I have house insurance, I have car insurance, I have life insurance, I have all my insurances and my life should be happy. And I was utterly miserable. And that was the opening door for me. But then that door opening for me also meant that that I, I went into it 100, 100%. It was 24 hours a day, seven days a week for me. So the secret had just come out. Um, the law of attraction concept had just really started to get momentum and it was all about how you feel about yourself and your thoughts create your reality. And so I would sit in meditation for six, seven, eight hours a day. I would just sit on the couch and I would go through all of my layer, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of just this, all of this was surface level trauma though. Um, But then I was 30 I think I was 37 and I started to think I was going a little bit insane because I was doing so much energy work and so much connecting work and so much um, channeling with non-physical that I started to feel like I was going a little bit crazy that I actually shut the door and I disconnected and I stopped doing 
work. I stopped working on my shadow. I stopped working on myself. And I didn't know at the time that I was about to have a baby and I was about to become a single mom and I was about to watch my mom die and I was about to go through the worst grief of my life. Uh, I didn't know any of that at the time, but now I really understand that that door got closed because there's no way I could have gone through what I've been through in the last now nine years because my daughter's just turned nine the last nine years of my life while I was working on my shadow and while I was still connected it, it, I don't know I don't think I could have done it but I reopened the door probably about three years ago uh, because I, I grieved heavily for my mum um, like it wasn't just her that I was grieving it was the the loss of the loss of who I was with her, it was that loss of that addiction. It was that loss of my dealer. So when she went, so did my dealer. And there was no one else in the world that could provide me with that hit. No one else existed in my reality that could provide me with that hit that I was seeking. So I was not only grieving loss of my mom, but also grieving my identity to who I was when she was alive, to realizing I don't know who I am, to also realizing that I now need to deal with all of the trauma because all the stuff that I'd done previously was really surface level stuff. I hadn't even gone into the deep work of the trauma, like the really deep, deep feelings within, into the darkness, like the darkest, 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 darkest space. I hadn't done any of that. So that work really started after my mum passed away. Um, and so for me, it, I was, it's all, and that's why I say I don't want anyone to compare how long it's going to take them to me because I had really weird, unusual circumstances. Because I, I did have a baby and then I had to grieve the loss of who I was before I had a kid because you lose a part of you. You are no longer that single person. Your identity completely changes after you have a child. And I was a single mum, and I was also watching my mum die because my mum got sick when my daughter was four months old. Um, so then I'm the first three years of my daughter's life was watching my mum die. It's just like, it's a totally different experience to what a normal person would go through. And then after my mum passed away, then I had another two or three years of just trying to stay alive while I'm battling through an eating disorder, while I'm battling through with this voice that just is constantly saying, you should just stop eating and die. Like, why don't you just stop eating and die? And then dealing with that, and that was really the first thing that I had to deal with was this voice that kept saying, you should stop eating and die. And then I had to go back to, well, where did that come from? Well, that came from the, this, this just anchored belief that my whole entire existence was unwanted, was not wanted, was not loved, was not cared for, was not nurtured, was not nourished, was not, there's no part of me in this world that feels like anyone in my family actually wants me here. And so when when you're dealing with all of that and you're dealing with being a single mom and you're dealing with the death of your own mom, it's completely different. I walked into my own personal hell 
<laughs> and no, I didn't know anyone that was doing any, there were no coaches out there that were doing this level of deep work that, that I could see. They might be out there, but the internet is a very big world. So for me, it's been a very, it's been a very deep, dark journey that I've had to walk alone and I've had to, there've been pieces of the puzzle that have come from people um, and amazing people have gifted me amazing amounts of wisdom in one hour conversations or one and a half hour conversations that I've had with them or different sessions that I've had somewhere, but there hasn't been anyone that has sat next to me in the mud and that has consistently been with me along the way. Um, and so my journey would be different to someone else who might have someone that is able to sit in the mud with them. But to answer your question, that didn't really answer your question. To answer your question, it's taken me 17 years to get to where I am from the moment I opened the door. Now, I could have just said that, but where's the fun in that? <laughs> no, I think it's really important that you note too that just because your journey was 17 years doesn't mean that the next person who experienced very similar things to you, they might have their journey be 10 years or eight years or 13 years, right? Just because it's we... different for everybody. Exactly. And even though people may experience similar things to you, they still experience it in their own way, in their own time. So it's yes. still yes. totally different that way too, right? Yeah. The kind of burning question for you, Kaylee, is now that you are a mother and you said your daughter mm -hmm. was nine, mm -hmm. how are you working to kind of break that generational trauma? How Are you doing anything specific to... I guess, support your daughter or make her feel less how you felt? Oh, so this is another podcast conversation. Mm -hmm. um, because, and I'm so thankful for all the work that I did before she was born. Because it was all of that shadow work that I did before she was born, all of that awareness work, the observer work, everything that I did to, become, to come into a place where I could see my thoughts and I knew what my thoughts were. I knew all my patterns, all my sabotages, all my habits. I couldn't necessarily stop them, but I knew them. I had an extremely acute level of awareness around myself because of the six, seven, eight hours of meditation that I did just sitting and looking at myself in the observer for gosh I did that for like five or six years um because of all of that work having her meant that I could have I could have an emotional reaction to something that she did and know that it was mine not hers it meant that she could do something that another parent who might not have the same awareness goes, you did that, you made me feel this way, now I'm going to punish you for it. Instead, I went, you did that, I feel this way, I'm not punishing you for it, I'm going to punish myself for it because I'm the one that created this. Um, so I switched the punishment, which wasn't ideal at the time. And I understand that now. And that's a whole other story of, well, then I also had to go through stopping punishing myself. Um, that was a really big pattern. That was a really big habit was punishment. And when you're raised in an environment where you are basically punished just for purely existing, which I was in my reality, I believe I was, you start punishing yourself just for existing. 
And if you are a parent that punishes your kids a lot, chances are you were punished a lot. And it's not necessary. You don't have to punish your kid. Um, but it becomes a habit because we're so used to punishing ourselves and there's so much anger that the punishment just comes spewing out of our mouth. So I realized that at such a young age that I frequently, from the minute my daughter could understand what I was saying, I would explain to her that nothing she did was her fault. Nothing that I, and if I ever, and I would have conversations with her like this. And I would say, if there's anything that I do in reaction to something that you have done, it's not your fault. You have not done anything wrong. And I want you to know that it's got nothing to do with you. And it is all relative to me when I was a child and the trauma that I went through. And it is just spewing out of my mouth onto you, but it is not your fault. And I could be having a meltdown and I obviously did have a few because I was going through hell um, and feeling completely out of control. And I would have these meltdowns and in the middle of the meltdowns, I would look at her and I'd say, this is not about you. I am not angry at you. I am just expressing my anger onto you because you're the only one here, but this is not about you while I was in the middle of having a meltdown. Uh, and then I would talk to her about it afterwards. I say, you know, that wasn't about you, right? You know that that there's just so much inside of me that I cannot contain, and it has to come out. And you are the person that is here. If someone else was here, it would be coming out onto them. I can't stop this from coming out, and I couldn't. There was nothing I, I couldn't stop the energy. I couldn't stop the words coming out. But also because I also had that awareness, I was also very careful about what words I would use that would come out. So I would not ever call her names. I would never say, I hate you or you're a bad kid or you, I would never go, you did this to me. This is your fault. Um, I would never, I, I, would, I would never call, like I was always the pretty one. My cousin was always the buffhead and my sibling was always the smart one. And we were always raised with like these names, you know, I've got a friend of mine who calls her daughter pudgy because her daughter's a little bit pudgy. And I look at that and I think oh, that kid in 10 years time is going to have so many weight issues because you're calling her pudgy. You think it's fun and cute right now, but you are setting up a paradigm in that child to have that voice in their head go, you're pudgy. So I was always very careful about the words that I would use in having a meltdown, knowing that I couldn't stop, like I couldn't not express how I was feeling, but I could choose the words in that expression. And then I could also have a conversation with her. So even now, if I'm having a meltdown, she would look at me even if I'm in the middle of a moment. And my meltdowns aren't banshee screaming meltdowns. I mean, I stand there and, I kind of more just rant and rave and walk around the house and just have a meltdown out loud. Um, but she just happens to be there and it happens to be about something that she might have done. But now that she's older and also because I've created this element of safety, if she knows it's not about her, I can be in the midst of a meltdown and she'll look at me and go, mom, I think you need to take a minute to really think about what you're saying because you know that's not about me. You know that's about something you need to deal with. Wow. And it just, like, it dissipates it instantly. 
because I know she's right. And also going right back to the beginning conversation where I said so many times we fight for our right to be right. I do not fight for my right to be right with my kid. I will openly and happily admit when I am wrong. And I do admit when I'm wrong. And I frequently, if I have poor behavior, meaning if I have had a meltdown, I will say to her, I'm so sorry, that was really, that was bad parenting. And there are times where I'm in the middle of a meltdown and I'll look at her and she'll say, mom, you've been a bit of an asshole. And I'll look at her and go, damn it, I haven't been an asshole, aren't I? And she'll go, yeah, you are. And she will call me on it. And she, but she knows she can because I don't punish her for that. So other parents will punish their kids and go, don't talk back to me. You know, go to your room. You can't talk to me like that. Whereas I encourage my daughter to talk to me like that because I want her to call me on my bad behavior. And if I'm yelling at her about something that, you know, she may or may not have done, but generally as parents, we do tend to overreact to what our kids do and we don't really need to punish them. I mean, it's not like they've killed somebody. Um, they just might not have, they might've, I don't know, not put a plate away or they might be late or they might not want to go to school today or they might have a messy room. You know, we come up with all of these bullshit reasons to yell at our kids. And, and again, that comes from parents who have been raised in a punishing environment who think they deserve to be punished. And so then they project that onto their kids. So it's, there are so many that come with parenting your kid differently. And the other thing I have done is give my daughter tools. So I am acutely aware that there is a mean, nasty voice in my head and there is an angel voice. And I know that every single human on this earth has a mean, nasty voice and they have an angel voice. And I have raised her understanding that she has a mean, nasty voice. And that mean, nasty voice is going to do whatever it can to keep her feeling bad about itself. Doesn't do it on purpose. It's a protection mechanism, but it is also anchored by the external world. It's anchored by what she watches. It's anchored in by the government. It's anchored in by newspapers. It's anchored in by magazines. It's anchored in by everything that we see in the external world anchors in you should feel like shit. You're, you shouldn't feel happy about life. You should feel bad about life. When you really take a big step back, this entire external world is trying to make you feel bad about yourself. And that goes down another conversation. But ultimately, people that feel bad about themselves are much easier to control. If you have an empowered human being, they are a lot harder to control. So if you keep the masses feeling bad about themselves, then it's easier to control. And so I am teaching her that she has those two voices and she gets to choose which one dictates her actions. And she is already learning that. She went to watch something and she came out and she said, oh, I watched something I shouldn't have watched. And I said, which voice did you listen to? She said, I listened to the mean voice. I said, oh, what did it tell you? And I said, oh, I heard the mean voice say, just keep watching, it'll be fine. I said, oh, what did the angel voice say? She said, oh, the angel voice said, no, you shouldn't watch that. That's probably not going to end well. And I said, so you chose to listen to the mean voice. And she went, yep. I said, and how did that work for you? She said, yeah, not good. <laughs> wow. And so she, she, she makes choices in her life. And I don't punish her for it. I don't punish her for making the choices that she makes. I make her aware. I make her aware of the fact that she listened to that mean voice and she did the action that the mean voice wanted her to do and the outcome 
was not what she wanted. And then there are other times where, and I'll say to her, okay, so where have you listened to the angel voice today? And then we'll talk about how she's listened to the angel voice and go, okay, so how did that work for you? Oh, no, that was really good. I really liked that. I really enjoyed that show or I really liked that experience. So it's about anchoring in. But, again, I wouldn't know any of this if I hadn't gone through it myself, if I hadn't created the awareness within myself because we all have these really deep emotional reactions inside of us. And if you don't know that they're not yours, that they are just an emotional reaction that you are having that comes from your past, then you will spew that onto anyone that is in front of you. And that includes partners, parents, kids, colleagues, work, government. And that, that's just the reality. So, and like I said, way back in the beginning, it takes a minute to take responsibility. It takes a minute to realize that your voice in your head is your voice and you get to choose whether you listen to it and your feelings are your feelings and you get to choose whether you feel them or not. And you also get to choose the words that come out of your mouth. And I understand it is hard to stop the words. It's hard when you've got so much anger and so much grief and so much hurt and so much pain that is just coming out of you at the person in front of you. But given a little bit of awareness, you might not be able to stop the reaction, but you can change what you say. And then the progress to that is now when I feel the feeling, I can feel the feeling and dissipate it in my body before it comes out of my mouth. Because I've become so aware of the feeling, so aware of what it feels like for me to be punishing myself, that if that punishment feeling comes up and I can feel it coming out towards my daughter, I will deal with it before it comes out because now I can feel it. And so it's all, it's really taking 100% responsibility. Your feelings are your feelings. And that doesn't mean that you have to forgive your past. It doesn't mean you have to forgive what happens. It doesn't mean that you're validating what people did in your past. It doesn't mean that I'm sitting here saying, my dad hitting me was irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It does matter. He was an asshole. He should never hit me, ever. But he did it over and over and over and over and over again. But I get to choose how I feel about it now. I get to choose whether I keep holding on to that punishment. I get to choose whether I get to keep holding on to him hurting me and punishing me. And, and up until I realized I get to choose, I just held it and I spewed that shit out to everybody. But now I don't have to because I get to choose. I get to choose and then I also get to see when I pick it up. I can see when I pick up something from the past that hurt me because I feel hurt. I can feel it. I'm so acutely aware of it now that I know the second I pick something up from the past, I can feel it. And then what I used to do was I wouldn't put it down and I would just go about my day and then I would spew out all that hurt into the world because I was hurting. And meanness travels. When one person is mean, then you're mean to another person who is then mean to another person. But when you realize that you pick something up, you can put it back down again. You don't have to fight for your right to be right. Just put it down. Put it back down. Go back to feeling good. Because feeling hurt and feeling pain and feeling sadness and anger and whatever feeling you want to label it as, feeling that sensation that you do not like is, is a choice. Ultimately, it is a choice. 
it's not an easy choice. And I will never sit here and say that it's an easy choice. It's the hardest choice. And I have to make it over and over and over again. I have to make that choice to put down my pain a thousand times a day because I don't like it. I don't like how it makes me feel. So when I pick it up, I will put it back down again. And I will keep doing that a thousand times a day. And one day you get to a point, I know we get to a point where we just stop picking it up. And then we don't have to feel that way anymore. And you get there when you get there. But for some of us, it's like this is 40 plus years of pain. It's going to take more than a week <laughs> to stop picking it up. I think a lot of that that you just said is really tactical but realistic at the same time, if that makes sense. And I just I find it really empowering or inspiring that you just you're just so real and genuine and kind of like a no bullshit approach it is a no bullshit approach that's that's like the best way I can describe it <laughs> you, you can't I, I don't I you can't come at this with shit you can't come at this with a mask you cannot put a mask on and deal with your shit it doesn't work you can't sit in a box and hope that it all goes away. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. you got to get real and honest. Oh, my God, honest. Brutal honesty is the only way through because you – God, that was a loud crow. <laughs> we are where we are or I was where I was because of how much I lied to myself. That's just the way it is. I just lied. I lied about what I wanted. I lied about who I was. I lied about, I just kept lying to myself. And it wasn't until I really started to get brutally honest. Can we take like 500 steps backwards for a minute? Mm -hmm. Just in the, in the conversation where we were talking about attachment styles, like way at the beginning, it sounds like you probably had the anxious, insecure, avoidant attachment style just from everything that's happened. Has has that or does that still affect you now? I just think it's fascinating for how attachment styles actually happen and the impact they have, but also how a lot of people don't realize that that's the attachment style they had and how it still affects them 40 years later, 47 years later, right into adulthood? It does, but not as much. So up until, up until I moved out to the place, so we live on 140 acres now. Up until I moved out to here, um, I was having panic attacks all the time. I would wake up in the middle of the night full-blown panic attack think I was dying I have called the ambulance on more than one occasion because I thought I was dying um, I've called my neighbors to come over and help me I have had panic attacks for over 20 years and it was extremely impactful I was terrified of so much stuff um, I was terrified of driving 
of leaving when I when I left my ex-husband this was before I had my daughter my daughter is not from my ex-husband um when I left him and I walked away with nothing and I was living in a tent because that's all I really I couldn't afford anything I didn't have a car I didn't have any money my mum had to buy the tent for me I had nothing I walked away with nothing and when I was there I ended up creating enough money to buy a car and a caravan. But I got the car and the caravan so I could always have my home with me because I was always too scared to go away from home. But that started when I was 19 and I OD'd on drugs one night. And that's when my panic attack started, was that about a week after I OD'd. And I was 19. Um, that's when they started and they went all through my twenties, all through my thirties into my forties. And it wasn't until I, they actually stopped before I moved here. Um, they stopped when I realized I was down at the other house and I realized the reason I had panic attacks was because I felt so unsafe. I felt so unsafe in my body. I felt unsafe in this world. I felt unsafe around people. Um, COVID was around mm-hmm. and people had gone feral mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and and that that really like that really amplified for anyone that was dealing with anxiety or stress or panic attacks or had any kind of fear for anyone like me who felt unsafe in the world already the way it was when that hit our level of unsafety went through the roof because all of a sudden friends hated hated each other and neighbours were throwing stuff at each other and hurling abuse at each other and I was getting abused at the shops when we went to these shops and just all sorts of horrible stuff was happening that it just amplified and my panic attacks amplified. They were off the charts. And then I realised it was because I felt so unsafe in my body and even though all of this happening around me was happening... I still didn't have to feel unsafe. And so then started the work of me feeling safe, of doing the deep work, of bringing in, I need to figure out how do I feel safe in this body? How do I feel safe with other humans? How do I feel safe on this planet? Um, and that's really when like the, it, that that changed that changed a lot for me was anchoring in that safety and then finding the trust well how do i trust how do i trust non-physical divine universal energy how do how do i trust that how do i trust whatever created all of this because at the moment i don't feel like i can trust anything and so the anxiousness aspect um it's here because of the lack of safety. So yes, it is, it's there until you create the safety and trust. And it's there because you don't have the safety and trust. And would you say you're at a place now where you're, you have the safety and the peace and the, the, I guess, security in yourself to be okay with your body and how you are, who you are? I am, I have moments where I would say absolutely 100% that's exactly where I am. And then I have moments where I trip over. 
And then in those moments where I trip over, I then use what I know to bring myself back. And it takes, sometimes it takes more than a minute to bring myself back because like an experience I just had with my next door neighbor, um, he was really sexually inappropriate towards me. It brought up a lot of fear. Well, what if he comes over here and breaks in the house and, you know, does inappropriate things to my daughter and makes me watch? Like, how do I? Like it brings the problem with having a fear-based brain, the problem with having a brain that was raised with no safety is that it throws these brutal, ghastly images at you all the time, all the time. And it takes a minute to come back. And if you don't know that you can bring yourself back to safety, you will stay there and then the panic attacks and then the anxiety and the fear, the fear and the fear and the fear, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you can't leave your house, you can't have a job. Um, so for me now, my brain will still throw images at me. It will still throw violent images at me. But where it used to cripple me before and it would paralyze me and I would go into a really deep, dark depression and I would go down that rabbit hole and end up with horrendous panic attacks. Now I can see it and now I can go, okay, that, that hurt, that hurt. I felt that, that really hurt and it does terrify me. And in this moment right now, it's not happening. That is not happening right now. So in this moment right now, I can feel safe from harm. I can feel safe from harm. And I will repeat that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in my head. Because it's not a five minute fix. When you have been born into terror and trauma and anxiety, it's not a five minute fix. It is work. It is, it takes time. Oh and it takes patience, and it takes perseverance, and it takes practice. This is what I tell my daughter when she was learning to ride her bike and she was getting frustrated. I kept saying to her, honey, it takes time, it takes practice, it takes patience, and it takes perseverance. And it's interesting because I have been saying that to her constantly over the years whenever she's trying to do something and she's getting really frustrated. I would bring, I'll bring her back to that point. It takes time, it takes patience, it takes practice, and it takes perseverance. And it will help calm her down so then she knows she just needs to keep trying and then she will succeed. And then when she succeeds, we happy dance and it's amazing. And it's interesting because I'm now bringing that into myself and reminding myself I'm reparenting that part of me that is having these big meltdowns going, you should be out there, you should be fine, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be having all of these issues still. You've been doing this work for such a long time. And I come back and I go, it takes time and it takes patience and it takes practice and it takes perseverance. And I have had this shit in my head for 47 years. It's going to take more than a minute for it to stop. It's going to take more than a minute. It's going to take a whole lot of minutes. <laughs> it's going to take a whole lot of minutes. And, and it's also really important to make sure that you're aware that in those minutes, that part of you that wants to punish you for not being there yet, that, that automatic programmed part, because if you've come from the same kind of background I have, you have an automatic programmed part of punishment and you don't even realise you're punishing yourself. But if you don't know, if you're punishing yourself, look around. 
and see, well, how many friends do you have? How many long-term friends do you have? How many partnerships have you been through? Are you still best friends with your siblings? Are you still best friends with your friend in high school? Do you ever yell at your kids? Like, just have a look. The, the best thing about this world is that the external world is a direct reflection to what is going on in your internal world. So if you wonder if you are punishing yourself, just have a look and say, do you punish anybody in your life ever? You are probably punishing yourself. I feel like there's a good chance that a lot of people do that. Yeah. Maybe even on a subconscious level. Absolutely on a subconscious level. It was subconscious for me until I brought it into my awareness and then I owned it and became responsible for it and went, I don't have to, pun- I, I do not have to punish myself anymore. And from that minute on, no one has been able to punish me. I've had people try and then I call them on it. And I actually have said to someone, you are punishing me right now for something I did not do. I would never have said that before. And that's I on, would never have. And that's on growth. <laughs> yes, yes. But then I also, I, I don't punish my daughter. If you actually, and I know this for a fact because someone did, they, she was in a group and the teacher said to her, said to all of them, tell me about a time when your parent punished you and all the kids came up with, you know, all their different stories. And then she came to my daughter and my daughter looked at her and she said, my mum's never punished me for anything ever. She said, well, she must have punished you for something. She goes, no, she doesn't punish me. She talks to me. She shares with me how she feels about what I do, but she's never punished me. And so my rants are not me punishing my daughter. They're just me ranting. But I'm not punishing her. I'm not making what's happened to me her fault. So she never feels like I've punished her. I've never taken a device away from her because she talk back to me because if she's talking back to me, it's probably because I'm being an asshole. It's just a different way of parenting. (laughs) If my kid has been an asshole to me, I am probably being an asshole to them. I'm not going to punish her for that. I think in this conversation, Kaylee, that there's been a lot of insight and wisdom and just knowledge and inspiration and empowerment so usually I will ask my guests for you know words of wisdom or support or encouragement but I feel like this entire episode was just that <laughs> all of it and I every hope part it has it. been <laughs> every part I hope of it kind of helps someone look at their life and go well and I apologize for swearing but I hope someone looks at their life and goes well my life is pretty fucked up but so was hers and that's okay I can do something about it. We're not always who we were in the past. We are not who we are in the past. Ever. My my daughter called me on that last week. I was I was sitting down on the couch crying because I'm still facing my eating disorder. I'm further along, but I, I just had a moment where I was really struggling getting food in. And I was sitting on the couch crying. This was just last week. And uh, she came out and she saw me. She sat with me and and... I, I just said, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to not be this way right now. I know I will get there, but I don't know how to not be this way right now. And she said, mom, you've said to me so many times that what I do in the past does not define who I am right now. She said, whatever decision you've made in the past does not define who you are right now. And I just 
like I looked at her and I just had this proud mum moment and went, damn, she's right. It doesn't. And I tell you what, I have to share this with you. The next day I started eating. The next day I completely changed my diet. And every day for the last week I have eaten. Don't eat. And I look at that voice and I go, don't tell me what to do. You don't get to dictate my life anymore. You are from the past. You do not control me now. I am not going to stop eating because you tell me to. I am now going to keep eating. And I've put on five kilos in the last week. That's incredible. It's incredible. I've been battling with this voice for nine years, eight and a half, well, probably eight and a half years. I've been battling with this voice. And my daughter reminded me I am not, I am not my past. And now I can see that voice and it's like, no, you don't control me anymore. And that's the power of awareness. This is what I want to say. That's the power of awareness. When you can see the voices coming at you, they don't control you anymore. See, even even wrapping up, you still are throwing advice and encouragement and support and wisdom to us. It's such a good thing, though. It is. It is. It really is. Such a good thing. And I love it. I can, I can truthfully say that I've been in that place with the eating disorder myself and Mm. supporting others and just in other parts of your life. So I just wholeheartedly appreciate you continuing to do what you do and teaching your daughter how you have been and just putting in the work for yourself because one day there will be less voices and the voice will be thanking you for eating, not telling you not to eat. Yes. Yes. And it is now. It is now that voice has already evolved into a different voice that's saying eat. There is a voice there now that says eat, eat, you're hungry, eat. Yay. It doesn't take much. It's like, it doesn't take much. It just takes, it just takes a willingness to see it and to fi- and be okay with lying on the couch and crying and being okay with being in the darkness, be okay with being in the darkness. And then the light can come in. We spend so much time trying to avoid the darkness. We block the light. Be okay with lying on the couch and being in hell for a minute. It's okay. It's not going to kill you. Because then after that, the Sorry. lightness Sorry. comes. It does. It comes. It, it, it means that you've dropped resistance. You just you drop resistance to the hell that you're in. Just lie there and just be what you are. It doesn't have to be crying. It could be anything, but just drop resistance. But also if it is crying, crying is okay. Crying is good. It's okay. (laughs) Yes. But I just, I wanted to say it doesn't have to be crying because there's someone that I follow and he's very much anchored in until you have cried it out, you have not let it go. And I just don't want anyone to think that crying is the only way out. It's not. That's why I said that. Um, Because you don't have to cry it out. You can laugh it out. You can yawn it out. You can tap it out. You can dance it out. You can run it out. You can do anything, whatever your thing is. It was just for that, it was crying. But other times it's not. It's something else. Like this right now. Do you know how amazing this conversation has been to validate me, to validate how I feel about myself and to anchor what it's done is it has anchored in. I am where I am. 
and I'm amazing and that's okay. And actually me talking about the eating disorder just then, it validated, holy shit, I am, I am eating. I'm eating. And it anchored in, I'm eating. So this conversation has been amazing for me because it's anchored in so much. Amazing. I otherwise might not acknowledge if I hadn't had this conversation with you. Well, if you ever need any more anchoring, let me know. I got you. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I got you. But on on my end, Kaylee, it's been an absolute pre- pleasure to talk to you and to just hear all your wisdom and your insight and just to give others hope. I think that's the big message that I received from you is just continue fighting, continue the battle. There's hope. And it's going to be shitty and it's going to be dark, but at some point the light will come. And I think this entire conversation with you has just reinforced that to me. It's been shitty and dark for me for 17 years and I'm just starting to see the light. Takes as long as it takes. And for some of us, it takes a little bit longer. (laughs) But there is light. But there is light. I guarantee I would not, if you had asked me that seven months ago, I would not have said I was in hell seven, eight, nine months ago. I would not have said there was light. I can guarantee you there's light. I've seen it. I've been in it. I spend moments. This conversation with you has been a light-filled conversation for me. Amazing. Well, I'm absolutely absolutely honored to have had this conversation with you and that it's provided you with that light and validation and I hope that it gives some hope and some light and some validation to anybody else that might be struggling in the same way that you or I did have struggled with or are currently struggling with thank you ma'am and I wanted to thank you Kaylee just for being a guest and being open to being open and vulnerable I know it's not easy talking about our our stuff and our past and our struggles but I'm I'm really happy to have you kind of on my side normalizing these conversations and having these harder conversations I wanted to thank you again for being a guest and just continuing the conversations thank you I'm a weirdo I love it (laughs) I love it too it's okay (laughs) And to you, Kaylee, and to the listeners, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light.